Today in the Journey with Pastor Steve DeWitt. Are we as a church, a church that is sowing generously? Are we? Can we anticipate God's blessing in our church? If God, the principle he applies is, if you are generous to me, I'll be generous to you. Can we anticipate God's generosity to us as a congregation or to you personally in your family or not? Welcome to The Journey with Steve DeWitt, Senior Pastor at Bethel Church in Northwest Indiana. Every Christian longs to experience God's blessing in their life, but not every Christian knows how to receive it. Today on The Journey, Pastor Steve DeWitt describes the inseparable link between God's blessing, generosity, and farming. If you're a little confused, it will all make sense in just a minute when Steve reads from 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. To hear more from our generosity series, visit thejourney.fm. Now here's Pastor Steve with today's message titled, How to Be Blessed. We really want the blessing of God on our life, don't we? I would imagine that many of you came today for that reason. You came to church and you want to honor God with your life and you want to come and you want to worship and you desire in your life and for your family, you want to know that God is for you. You want to think that as you do the day-to-day of life that the hand of God's blessing is with you. And there's nothing wrong with that. And of course, we can look at Jesus Christ and what he did for us to know that God is is for us. But in terms of him being our heavenly father and living the day-to-day of life, when I'm driving my car, I want to feel the protection of God. When I am am, uh, in a difficult situation and I need wisdom, I want to have a sense that God will grant me the wisdom or the peace or the comfort or whatever it is. I want to know that I want God's blessing in my life. So do you, Right? Okay, we want that. I don't know anybody who doesn't want that. Have you heard about the news? The, the, there's, a new, there's a new TV show, I forget the name of it, where the contestant is hooked up to a polygraph, to a lie detector, and obviously on national television. And then there are a series of questions that the person is asked that are increasingly difficult and embarrassing, and based upon whether they answer it right or not, or willing to even answer the question is how much money that they make. There's a show like that. Have you heard about that show? Probably some of you have. So um, I'd like you to imagine this morning that you're a contestant on that show. Or actually, we had, maybe we had that here this morning, and we got you hooked up, and we're doing this thing, and, and, um, and, and we have a question for you. And here's the question. This morning, if you were hooked up and you were asked to choose between wealth Or, your other option is the blessing of God. And you're hooked up to a polygraph and like everybody's watching and all that. What would you pick? And you had to be honest. And you can't do the I refuse to answer approach. Can't plead the Fifth uh, Amendment. What would you honestly, in your heart, which one would you pick? Hmm. You see, I think I know the answer to that. I think that most of us would pick both. Right? I mean, wouldn't we, in our hearts, want both? I'll take that and that. 
Now, if you're a conscientious Christian, and if other Christians were watching in particular, you would say, well, I would like to begin with the blessing of God, of course, but if the blessing of God happened to include wealth, that would be fine by me. I want both. Which would you pick, honestly, in your heart? You know, sadly, I think, and, and all the statistics and studies bear this to be the case, that when it really comes down to it, in American Christianity, most American evangelical Christians pick wealth. You say, well, how can you, how can you say that? Here's how I can say it. Because, uh, let me give you a couple statistics. The average American evangelical Christian, in terms of their giving to God, gives 2.5% of their income. 2.5%. That's the average American evangelical. So obviously you have people that are above that, and you also have to have a lot of people below that to drag it down to 2.5%. Now you say, well, okay, well, that's just a number. What does that mean? Well, during the Great Depression, the average American evangelical Christian gave 3.2% of their income to the Lord. Now see, that's interesting to me. Isn't that interesting? Because when you think about the, the, the Great Depression, the worst economic period in the history of our country, Christians gave 3.2. But here now in what could only be called the last 15 years, the greatest economic boom in the history of the richest country in the history of the world, Christians in that country are giving 2.5% of their income away. And you say, well, how can that be? Why would that be the case? And what does that tell us? Here's what it tells us, tells us doesn't it? The more you have, the less you want to give. The more that you have, the less generous you are. And that the things that we have, the money, the possessions, our house, or whatever it is, those possessions have a way of working into our hearts in such a way that we become less willing to give them up. The more that we have, the less we want to give. Our possessions actually possess us. It's an interesting dynamic that takes place, isn't it? When you, have, when you have a lot. You know, this is not that different from the, uh, the dilemma that Christ posed to the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to him and said, tell me, how can I have eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments, so fulfill the commandments. And he goes, I have, I've done all of the commandments. And Jesus looked at him, and here's, uh, I love this little line, and he loved him, it says. He just had a sense of endearment towards him, and he said, okay, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have, give it to the poor, Come and follow me, and you will have treasure in heaven. And the text says that the rich young ruler became sad, and he walked away because he had great wealth. The wealth possessed him, and he was unwilling to give it up. And here we are in American Christianity, where we are the wealthiest Christians uh, ever. 80% of the wealth that Christians have in the world is had by American evangelical Christians. Us. We are the rich. And yet the rich, it would seem, are quite unwilling to give up their riches for the kingdom of God. Here's another statistic that is staggering to me. 40% of evangelical Christians give nothing at all. It is an epidemic. American Christians who are apparently choosing this over this, that are coming to church and are playing a game, putting on the smile, the clothes, everything, and singing songs to Jesus, 
but in their hearts, is Christ truly their first love or not? You know, Jesus said it this way. You can't have both. Like I said, most people say, I want both. You can't have both. No man can serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You see that word cannot? You just, you can not. You can't play games with God. Now we can try, but it doesn't work. And we don't get the blessing of God. It's either one or the other. And here's the thing, God knows our hearts. So let me ask here at Bethel, does God have our hearts? Does Jesus have first place in our hearts? Now here's You could say, well, you could ask the question, but how would you ever know? How would you ever know if this is a Jesus-first kind of church or not? I mean, you tell by the how enthusiastic they sing. Do you tell by uh, the attendance numbers of the church? Uh, Do you do you tell by the super cool pastor of the church? How do you know whether or not? Jesus is first in their hearts. Here's what Jesus said is how you can know. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus said that. You want to know what your priorities really are. Beyond what you say and the the, the games that you play, you can know by simply looking in your checkbook what the most important things are in, in our lives. That's the way that it works. So this morning, I would like for us to take a look at the church's checkbook. Now, you'd probably only let somebody like family look at your checkbook, right? Okay, but we are a family, aren't we? We're a family, so we can look at our checkbook, and it can be okay to do so. But I'd like us to look at the church's checkbook this morning. I've asked our finance people to run some statistics Here's some numbers for you. We have here at Bethel 1,568 registered giving units. Now, that can be an individual, that can be a family, but that's what they call them as giving units at the church. That many people have registered. Uh, From that number, we have 1,114 giving units that have recorded at some point some giving of some kind. Okay, Last year, we had... 171 people that gave $5,000 or more to the church, which would represent 11% of the number of units that we have, all right? And obviously we have people that, have, that come to our church that do not, have never registered and we don't know who you are, so this is like registered giving here. 171, so 11%. Now let's go down to the 1,000 or under We had 1,020 giving units that gave under $1,000 last year. That would represent 65% of our church gave under $1,000 last year. Now, breaking down that 1,000 and under, 56% of all of our giving units in the church gave under $500, actually, last year. 45% of our church gave under $100 last year, and 34%, so one out of three people, gave zero last year. Now, I would take from this that given the 
Lake County annual income per household and what I know about our church. We have lots of people, double income families in our church. I think that we have maybe 10% that are tithing here on a Sunday. And you can look at those numbers and say, okay, what does this mean? Like, what do these numbers mean? And I don't pretend to be God in this. Um, But I do want to ask this question, which of these do you feel like we are overall choosing in our congregation? Which of these would we rather have based upon those statistics? And I'll tell you, I, I was shaken when I saw this. I really was. I, and I was for personal reasons. I have so much tried to center our church on Jesus Christ as our greatest treasure. It's all about him and all of that sort of thing. And I look at the numbers and I sort of wonder how well that has taken root. You know, I've been here 10 years. Actually, it's going to be 11 this summer. Almost, it's coming on 11 years. And I, here's what I'm banking on right now. Okay, I'm banking on the fact that after 10 years here, you know that I love you. For 10 years, I've tried to preach God's word and I've tried to shepherd faithfully. I hope that you know that I love you. And I hope that perhaps I have earned the right to speak the truth in love to you and to speak into your heart without you wondering whether or not I care for you or I love you. I love you. And I desperately want here at our church and in your life for you to experience the blessing of God. And you've already said by amening uh, that this is something that you want in your life as well. So we are on the same page here. We want the same thing. And so I just want to ask some questions here this morning. Are we as a church, a church that is sowing generously? Are we? Can we anticipate God's blessing in our church? If God The principle he applies is, if you are generous to me, I'll be generous to you. Can we anticipate God's generosity to us as a congregation or to you personally in your family or not? And I'll just ask this question. Do we look like a Jesus, love Jesus kind of church? Now, if I was giving, if if these were the numbers in Sierra Leone, Africa, it'd be like a whole different thing. We'd probably be like, hey, praise God, look at this, you know. Why? Because 10% of zero is zero. (laughs) You can love Jesus all you want, but if you don't have anything, you don't have anything. But here we are in America, here we are in our situation here, I, I am unaware of anybody in our church that is unemployed. We don't have people very often that say, I have no food, please can you feed us for lunch today. I've, I don't know if I've ever had that on a Sunday in 10 years here. So we're not dealing with a Sierra Leone kind of context here. We are part of that 80% of American Christians who have, um, or we have 80% of the wealth of all the Christians in the whole world is right here in America, and we are a part of that. We are the richest Christians in the history of the world. And I would just say, having 10 years here, been in so many homes and, and uh, ridden around in cars, and I know many of your lifestyles, um, we're not, we have a, we, most of our church have a lot more than what basic living would require. I think that would be a safe statement. We are financially 
blessed here. So then I just have to ask the question, if that is the case, why are we sowing so sparingly? Like, why? And I don't know the answer to that, but here's what I do know. We reap what we sow. That's the principle. God has made it clear. We reap what we sow. And I want us to sow generously, or to reap generously. I want us to be blessed by God here. And I want, personally in my life, I want to know that I am partnering with God in something bigger than myself, that I'm a part of what God is doing in the, in the kingdom of God, both here and around the world. And you want to know what I really want? Here's what I really want. I want desperately for you someday in heaven to come up to me and say, you know what, I am glad that you were my pastor. And the reason that I'm glad that you were my pastor is that you told it to me straight. You told me the truth. And I am so glad you did because now in eternity I am seeing the rewards of living according to God's word as you taught it. And that's what I want. That'll be to me, I hope there's a, I'd love to see a long line (laughs) of people saying, Glad you were my pastor. Thank you, Steve. Thank you. And maybe today will be one of those days that God will use, and someday you'll say, you know what, remember that, remember that Sunday in March, the one after the really bad sermon? Remember that one? I, that, God used that in my life to where I'm reaping the benefit now in eternity. Thank you. Thank you. And here's the principle. God, you can read it yourself. You have Bibles, most of you. Read it yourself. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow generously, reap generously. That's the way that God operates. And we want to be blessed here. And so what should I do about it as as your shepherd and your pastor? What should I do about it? Well, here's what I could do. I could do what Paul tells me to do. Paul in 1 Timothy says this. Here's what it says, 1 Timothy 6. Command those who are rich in this world to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So I could stand up here and say, I command you. I could do that, uh, but I'm not going to today. A, I don't think it would work that well. Um, But secondly, it's because today I want to appeal to your hearts. I want to appeal to your desires. I want to appeal to the Holy Spirit who I believe is within you. And I know that what he wants in your life is the same thing that the scriptures are compelling me to say to you today. He wants you to be blessed. He's not in there going, let's try to ruin their life. Let's try to make them miserable. He's in there saying, I want this man, I want this woman to experience the life that is truly life and that is a life that is sold out for Jesus Christ. All of it. All of it. That's what he wants. And so I know that he's partnering with me as I talk, and I hope that he's working in hearts even here as I speak now. So here's the thing. If we love Jesus, we will always be generous to him, always. They always go together. And so I was thinking, like, I was looking at those statistics, and I'm thinking, okay, how has this happened? And I think what has happened is that many of us, I mean, we have people here that have been Christians for a very long time. And I would have to say that, we apparently have forgotten the basics. Okay, we've forgotten the basics. So I would just like to say, let's go back to the basics here. What are the basics in terms of a life that will experience the blessing of God in regards to stewardship? How do we do that? I've got three words for you today. They rhyme 
which hopefully will help you to remember them. Or they end the same. I don't know if you'd say they rhyme, but they end the same. Here's the three words. Simplicity, generosity, eternity. Simplicity, generosity, eternity. First of all, simplicity. By simplicity, what we mean is that I am going to live a simple life. I am going to live beneath my income for Jesus' sake. For Jesus' sake. You're not doing it for the government. You're not doing it for, you know, um, applause. You're doing it for Jesus because I love Christ. That's why I, that's why I do this. And obviously, this is not the American way. The American way is to live beyond your means, right? And how do you do that? By going into debt. And so the American way is to be drowning in a sea of debt and living beyond your means to impress people that, that you don't like. You probably heard that definition of a materialist. A materialist is somebody who, li- who buys things he can't afford uh, to impress people he doesn't like. Uh, that is a materialist, and that is the American way. And perhaps you are here, and you have lived that way, and right now you're like, I can't, generous, I can't be generous, I can't even make ends meet. That is why since the beginning of Christianity, Christians have been known for living a simple life. Okay, They live a simple life, and by that I don't mean, you know, we're back to grass huts and all of that, but they are consciously living beneath their means so that they can be generous in supporting the kingdom of God. Here's what uh, Hebrews 13 says. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. So we we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do with me? So if I am going to be generous to God, which is the next point we're going to get to, I have to consciously live my life in a way that I can be generous to God. I won't have any money to do so if I spend it all on other things. And these are decisions, daily kind of decisions that we make to buy this, to do that, to order that, to get and sign up for this contract. And what happens is slowly it all sort of disappears, doesn't it? It just, it's gone. What happened to it? I don't know. I don't know where it went. Yes, you do. Look, you'll figure it out where it went. You know, if you can't give to God because of your car, then I would say to you that your car is an idol in your life. It's an idol. If you can't give to God because of your house, you bought the wrong house. You bought the wrong house. If you can't give to God because of your cable TV and your fitness center membership dues and your extra car and your credit card debt or whatever it is, the answer is very simple, my friends. Get rid of them. Okay? Get rid of them. God isn't interested in hearing excuses. He expects his children to be generous toward him. You're listening to The Journey with Steve DeWitt and part one of a message titled, How to Be Blessed. Today's teaching comes from a series titled, Living a Generous Life, and you can hear more messages online at thejourney.fm. Well, here at The Journey, our aim is to guide you in your life journey towards the unwavering and immutable truth found in God's Word. That's why each day on the radio and internet, we take you into the depth of Scripture while making its truths easy to understand and applicable to your daily life. But as a listener-supported program, none of this would be possible without you. The journey relies in part on the financial gifts of our generous listening family. And December is our most important month because it will either set us on a firm or shaky foundation for the new year of ministry ahead. So would you help us share the truth of the gospel with listeners all around the country? 
by giving a special year-end gift today? Just call 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or give online at thejourney.fm. And when you give, we'll say thank you by sending you a book by best-selling author Randy Elkhorn. It's called The Treasure Principle. If you desire a fuller and more satisfying life, discover how the joy of giving can make your life richer as you store up treasure in heaven. Request your copy of The Treasure Principle by calling 844-7-JOURNEY. That's 844-756-8763. Or visit thejourney.fm. And while you're on our website, you'll also find practical articles written by Pastor Steve just for you. You'll receive biblical insight on a variety of topics like faith, family, finances, and much more. Again, you'll find them at thejourney.fm. Well, I'm Tim Svoboda. Join us next time for part two of the message, How to Be Blessed. That's Wednesday on The Journey with Steve DeWitt. Today's program was produced and furnished by Bethel Church in Crown Point, Indiana.